Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. All right, how are you today? You good? Good, 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 good. Great to be with you today. Happy uh, Sunday. I'm glad you're here. Uh, my wife and youngest daughter are at a volleyball tournament right now, so pray for them that my wife doesn't get in a fight. Um, we are those parents, uh, two very passionate people, and uh, it comes out when our kids play in sports as well. So um, let's pray. We're gonna jump right into this. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your goodness. God, no one's here to hear my clever ideas. They're here to hear from you. Father, would you speak to your people today in Jesus' name? Amen, amen, amen. We are in the middle of a series. Thank you, Brandon. Last week, I was home. I got a little sick last week. I had the junk got in my lungs, and so I was at home uh, worshiping online with all of you screaming, let's go, Brandon, the whole time he was preaching. I get to do that. I've done that forever. I created that saying. It means something very different when I say it because I have Brandon here. And um, just got to lighten up. We just have fun. It's church, right? Just having fun for church. God is good. We don't have to be weird. But Brandon did a great job last week, and I was really, uh, really pleased and proud of him. A lot of wisdom in that young man. And I'm excited to be able to continue uh, the series today, Love That Lasts. Honestly, if I could tell you um, a couple different things, topics that I would be not necessarily the most comfortable uh, being the one speaking or teaching on, marriage is a challenging one, right? Um, If you feel like you're a marriage expert... Right? I mean, I feel like I could teach you how to mess up your marriage. I could tell you a lot of things not to do. I could tell you many things never to say to your wife um, that would instantly change the atmosphere of the house, the entire house, not just one room of the house. Uh, So this is is something that I really, um, when I come to you with this understanding, I'm trying my best to come straight out of the Bible. My goal for you today uh, is to help you see the purpose and the design of the creation of man and woman and what marriage is supposed to be and why it's so important to God and why we need to stand up for it. You see, marriage is something that's under attack. In our modern culture, marriage is under attack in a very big way. Uh, marriage is, 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 they're seeking to redefine marriage. It doesn't have to be a man and a woman. It can be whatever. Redefine parenting. doesn't have to be a man and a woman. In fact, now, I don't know if you know this or saw this or not, but uh, just this last week or so, Apple came out with a brand new emoji. It's a pregnant man. Apparently, men can be pregnant now, right? This is the world we live in. And, and for us to stand up for the Bible is massively important. For us to stand up for the word of God and for what the word of God says and define everything in our life based on God's word, it's massively important for us. And so inside of the Bible, you understand and you do believe, right? God's word is true. We all believe this together. God's word is true. And God's answers are always right. And so if we want to find the answers for how to have a successful marriage, the number one place to look is the Bible. Now, I also understand that this is a topic that can be painful for some because some people have had very painful experiences in marriage, whether it was their own or whether one that they witnessed or their own parents or whatnot. This is something that, that I understand. Not everyone in the room is married. Some people were married, and some people maybe one day will be married, and many people are scared of being married, and 
many people in the room would tell you you should be, right? I mean, it's just, it's just one of those topics. But the wisdom from the Bible will help in what works inside of marriage for creating a great relationship will actually translate and work in every part of your life if you can learn the secrets for how to treat people. When I was 21... I got engaged to Jennifer. I met, we met her, uh, I met her, we met her, my other personalities and I uh, met her <laughs> right after I turned 20. And uh, we, were, we, we were best friends for six months. I love that she's not here today so I can say whatever I want and get away with it. And uh, best friends for six months. Didn't, didn't, I mean, I mean, and, and dude, I mean, I, I really was into her, but I was trying my best to live for the Lord. I was in a season of just of really seeking after God, and so I wasn't dating anybody, and, and I was very much attracted to her, but I was just trying to really live for the Lord, and then she had an ex-boyfriend come in town to visit her, and he stayed at her place, and I was just losing my mind, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say, and, and again, we were young, and she's just barely saved, and she's going to kill me for saying this. See, look, I'm already in trouble right now. I'm already in trouble, and I'm going to start sweating up in here. Don't tell her to watch this video. Uh, edit this part out, by the way. But uh, nothing, everything good, nothing happened, all that kind of stuff. But the dude stayed at her place, and I lost my mind. I didn't know what to do, so I went to her house the next day, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I just knew that I needed to somehow mark my territory. I couldn't have other people coming around this girl that was my best friend. She's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I, I, didn't, I couldn't even say it. I didn't know what to say. So I just kissed her. <laughs> Ruined a great friendship. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it was, it, it, so then we started our dating. The next uh, year we dated and then we got engaged and, and we've been through a lot in, in life um, together. But right before I got married, I was sitting down with one of my clients, and this client, I'll call him, his, Mr. Samples is what I'll call him, that was his last name. Mr. Samples was a grizzly old dude. Um, he was a Vietnam vet. He was probably in his late 40s or so, had like a gaggle of kids, or, or, you know, and he looked like some, I mean, he looked like what you would expect, like the 70s Vietnam vet, I mean, long, white, scraggly, he looked like Willie Nelson, but fat, and, 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 a, and a bandana, I mean, he, was, he didn't really wear a bandana, but that's what he looked like, all right, and, and just had this, he was just, I'm absolutely PTSD, the guy had been through all kinds of stuff in his lifetime, and, and he took me to lunch at this little Chinese restaurant in, in the little town where I had my first business, thriving metropolis of Coweta, Oklahoma, very, very prosperous location, uh, wonderful people in Coweta. Country folk in Coweta, Oklahoma. Uh, Coweta, that's how you spell it. Uh, but, uh, but we went to this little, little Chinese restaurant, and he begins to give me some advice. He says, Joel, you got a great business. You're doing well. Everything's going good in your life. Aren't you happy? I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm totally happy. I'm excited. He says, you're happy. I said, yeah. He goes, then why are you getting married? Why would you get married if you're already happy? Well, Joel, don't mess up happy. You're good. Don't get married. And he begins to plead with me to not get married for probably 10 minutes or so. And I'm like, man, I love this girl. She's the love of my life. She's the one. I'm getting married to this girl. He says, fine. He goes, if I can't talk you out of it, let me at least give you some advice. 
It's okay. He says, when you make love, my eyes get really big, I choke on my low mane. <coughs> okay. When you make love, it's like a Chinese dinner. I look down at my food, and I look back up, oh, oh, okay. He said, it's not over until you both get a cookie. That's what he said to me. And I didn't understand what he meant by that. And I'm not going to help you understand that today. But on the 27th, we're going to talk about God's purpose for sex inside of marriage. Not today. On the 27th. So you can decide if you want to come or not. You don't have to be here. Many of you may want to be here. Some of you might force your spouse to be here. Uh, if you have children, you would want to check them in to kids' ministry or whatever. I won't be, look, I have two daughters, a 12 and an 18-year-old. They'll be in this room. They need to learn what the Bible says about it. Would you rather MTV tell them? YouTube tell them? Facebook tell them? Instagram tell them? You'd rather, you, or, or, or should we talk about real stuff in church? Because God designed. He designed it. He has a purpose for it. So we're going to talk about it. It's 27th. Either come or don't come. Might be our biggest Sunday ever. <laughs> Everybody has advice. Everybody has advice. What, what does the cookie represent? The cookie represents meeting needs. That's what the cookie represents. I love, do anybody else love fortune cookies? They just make you so happy. Do not mistake temptation for opportunity. Oh, that'll save somebody's marriage right there. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Fortune cookie, Jesus. I'm gonna eat, that. I'm gonna eat on that one. So you, if you eat it, it comes true. Remember that? So many opinions. What does God say about marriage? I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. Man, that's a good cookie. I just broke my fast. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. Then God said, watch this, let us make man in our image. So God is plural, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. So the plural God made a plural being, and gave him dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish, the sea, birds of the air, everything that creeps on the moon and the earth and moves and all that kind of stuff. All right, so you understand here that when God made man, he made man first, and we'll see it played out in the next passage I read, into a single body. Inside of a single body, God put both the masculine and the feminine. He made them into one body, Man was an individual, Adam, and had both all of the masculine and all of the feminine because 
He was made in God's image. God is neither a man nor a woman. God possesses all of the masculine and all of the feminine attributes in himself in bodily form. So when God made man, he made man a, a, a self-sufficient being that apparently could produce on its own inside of itself. I don't know what they call that in nature, but there are certain creatures that can do that. And apparently man was so perfect that it had that ability, all the masculine, all the feminine, and the command was to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion. But as the story goes, there was a complication. Now it's interesting, and you need to understand first and foremost that marriage reflects or is a reflection of God's glory. Marriage is a reflection of God's glory. Remember that point. He makes man in his image. And then the next thing he does, Genesis chapter 2, he puts them in a garden. Now when he puts them in the garden, this is not just a garden like you would think of as a city park or something. This is a massive region of the earth. This is a region that literally was filled with four different rivers flowed through this region. Okay, so this is a massive region for, that the Garden of Eden actually took place, took up. And there were four specific rivers. So I want you to, I want you to see the picture here. I'm not going to tell you the names of the rivers if you want to read the actual names of the rivers that were inside of and, and fed in, out of the Garden of Eden. Um, you can look those up in Genesis 2. But I will tell you what their names meant. The four rivers inside of the Garden of Eden, the first name meant increase. The second name meant bursting forth. The third name meant rapid. And the fourth name meant fruitfulness. A lot of symbolism there where God put man for his first habitat inside of a garden of perfection with four rivers that when you put their names together, literally reads increase, bursting forth, rapid fruitfulness. God's desire and design for marriage is to have the abundance of fruitfulness, pleasure, joy, harmony, unity. He put them in a paradise. Watch this. The Lord said, it's not good that man would be alone. I'll make a helper comparable to him. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to cattle and birds of the air and beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. That's an interesting thought. God going on a journey, he made a man in his own image that has all of the masculine, all of the feminine within itself. Puts it in paradise with the command to be fruitful and multiply. But it's one being. Says, hold on, let me make a whole bunch of animals that are a part of a different kingdom. This is very important for you to understand. You may be a mammal, but you are not part of the animal kingdom. You are different and distinct. You are part of the God kingdom. You're not made in the image of an animal. You did not come from a monkey. You did not come from a rat. When I was in D.C., they say it's, it's actually a mouse or a rat. What's his name? You don't know? I don't know. The rat has a name. Molly? I don't know. You, you didn't come from that. You were made in God's image according to his likeness and given dominion over the animal kingdom. You're not of the animal kingdom. 
not a comparable helper found. And the Lord caused him to go into a deep sleep. And he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from the man made into a woman. And he brought her to the man and said, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, watch, therefore, therefore, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. See, marriage is designed to meet needs. It's designed to meet needs. God made a perfect being fully sustainable inside of itself, like God, in God's image, but it wasn't God, so it had needs. God has no needs. God has a desire. He desires your worship. He has no needs. Now, obviously, God knows all things, and he saw all this playing out and all of that type of thing. I'm not saying that God was surprised or shocked or didn't understand. God knows all things. But he made a perfect being, put him in the garden. Perfect being wasn't happy, made a whole bunch of animals and stuff. Maybe you'll find that man's best friend is not necessarily man's best friend, can't meet all the needs. So he created the perfect helper, Watch, took out of his side, not from underneath, not from above, took out of his side and created a perfect partner for Adam. A perfect partner. Side by side. Not one over the other. Side by side. A perfect partner. Comparable. Made to meet the other's needs. Now watch, when God took the feminine out of Adam, he didn't take all the feminine. Men still have a feminine side, a feminine traits. Okay to be a manly man and have a soft side. When he took, all the, he took the feminine, you, you understand that there, uh, this is important for you to understand. There's a reason inside of God's design why some men are less masculine, and some women are less feminine, and it has absolutely zero to do with their sex or sexuality. Nothing to do with it. The world wants to tell you that if you're a female and you're less feminine, then you must be a lesbian. If you're a man and you're less masculine, then you must be a homosexual. But those aren't the designer. Don't let someone that's not your designer label you. People have different purposes. People have different gifts. People have different ratios. There are some, you've heard, somebody has a kid and the kid's just rough and tumble, bangs his head 52 times a day, knots on every side like a triceratops, and he's like, he's all boy. All boy. Right? Little girly girl, Blakely, was the girliest little girl. I mean, every, I mean, she had to do her nails at one. 18 months, she's doing her nails every single, like five times a day. In mama's makeup, girly as girly gets. 
Everybody's different. Marriage is designed to meet needs. Not good for a man to be alone. Marriage is the way that God designed for a man and a woman. Watch. He made them as one. He separated them apart and then commanded them to join back together. He made them as one separated them apart, and commanded them to join back together. And when they join back together, they become one flesh. They come back into the image of God. This is why it's a reflection of God's glory. It's when a man and his woman, or a woman and her man, come back together and become one flesh as husband and wife. It makes them the reflection of God. You'll see this in a moment in Scripture. They were designed to meet each other's needs. But the story takes a twist. Because there was a snake in the garden, apparently possessed by the devil. The snake shows up one day, Eve is out doing something, who knows, and and, and starts a conversation. And the conversation didn't shock her. You ever notice that? She has a casual conversation with the snake. Apparently animals could talk. I don't know. But she has a conversation with the snake and doesn't think anything of it. And the snake asks her a question. Genesis 3, verse 2. Woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but not of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. I want to preface this. This is the entrance of chaos into the relationship of man and woman. It's the entrance of the curse coming into the relationship of man and woman. And the entire problem started around a communication failure. Eve didn't have the clear instructions. In Eve's mind... Don't even t- In Eve's mind, God said, don't touch it or you'll die. But God never said that. So the second Eve misquotes God, the enemy knows he has her because she doesn't know the word. And he does. You won't, you won't die. If you touch it, you won't die. Come check it out. Look how pretty it is. Smell it. Smells good, doesn't it? Look, you touched it. You didn't die. Just taste it. You're not going to die. You'll be fine. Miscommunication. I, I, I don't know how the miscommunication happened. I'm going to uh, allow me to be creative with the story. Adam comes home from work. Naming animals. Been talking to Mr. Platypus. <laughs> Mr. Hippopotamus. He named them, right? Adam came up with these names. Having a conversation with the giraffe, checking on the mangoes and the pomegranates in the garden. He, he's, been, he's been out there working all day, just talking it up with the animals, talking it up, talking it up. Mama's at home, waiting. He gets home, he's tired. Just wants some, chop open a coconut, drink some coconut water. I, I mean, he just wants to put his feet up, watch a little Animal Planet, Eve's got questions. How was your day? What did you do? How was Mr. Giraffe? 
Is the baby doing well? Question after question. Adam just wants to watch some animal planet. He's been working all day, talking all day. He's giving her one-word answers. Bullet points. She wants narration. She wants to color in the story. Having a little fun here, right? Just having a little fun. She brings up the tree in the middle. It's really pretty. Adam's like, you know, you know about that tree. Well, what, but, but why? Oh, the questions. Why? But what will happen? What will actually happen if, listen, just, he said just don't even touch it. Okay? Just don't touch it. That's never happened at your house. It's never happened at your house. Adam somehow gives Eve bad information. And the miscommunication inside of this marriage allowed the enemy to have an entrance. Cost him everything. The curse of the fall is serious. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, inside of the curse of the fall. The, the snake says he's cursed more than all creatures. He has to live on his belly, but that's not the important part. He has to eat dust from the earth, but that's not the important part. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. The curse to Satan is hatred for women. Enmity with the woman. Hatred for the woman. You want to know why women have been so mistreated all around the world, still mistreated all around the world, countries all around the world? Guys, the problem is way bigger than equal pay or opportunity or whatever. It's way bigger. The enemy hates women. Enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, her seed, the woman, speaking futuristically of Jesus, will bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, watch, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Not the original design. Not the original plan. A result of the curse. Enmity between Satan and women. Because of a seed that would be born that would destroy the enemy. So he launched a vicious attack on women that has existed for millennia. A curse on women. Childbirth wasn't, listen, this is bigger. Not just sorrow, sorrow in conception. Sorrow in just being a mom. Oh my God, being a mom. Don't know the first thing about it. Because I'm not a mom. But I've watched, I've watched my wife be a mom. And it's hard. There's a lot of sorrow in it. Pain in childbirth. Childbirth wasn't supposed to be painful. Bunny rabbits don't complain. 
Giraffes, pop that thing, drops six meters. Baby's fine. <laughs> right? Just pop them out. Not supposed to be, there's not supposed to be sorrow and pain in it. It's part of the curse. But the one we deal with, the one we deal with is this. Your desire shall be for your husband. What it really means is your desire shall be for your husband's position. And he shall rule over you. Watch the curse for man. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Oh, that'll preach right there. Don't listen to that. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm sorry. Oh, I need another fortune cookie. Hold on. i recover from that one. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Watch, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face shall, uh, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Man, this is a, this is a rugged curse. The curse for man was hard labor and resistant harvest. For the man to come home from work, beat down, weary, exhausted, to a contentious home, that's the curse. Why do we have problems in marriage? It's a curse. What's the good news? Jesus, Jesus came to redeem the curse. That's the curse, guys. A, a husband that rules over, a wife that fights against him, pain in your children, sorrow with your children, pain in, in labor, horrific work that's wearisome to you. That's the curse. And an all-out war between Satan and women. Because we all know if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So what's the answer? That's not in the Bible, but it's in the Bible. <laughs> the answer is Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, one of the greatest churches that the world had ever seen, a massive mega church. In Ephesus, a church that literally broke down all of the racial barriers, broke down all of the hate, broke down all of the separation and division in the city because they loved people so much so. Look at the answer. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. I'm going to continue reading through this, but I want you to understand, selfless submission heals. Selfish rebellion kills. You want to have a healthy marriage Mutual submission one to another. Mutual submission one to another. There are moments when I put my foot down and mama says, okay. 
there are moments when mama puts her foot down and I say, okay, because we're partners. We're partners. We're not always right. We mess up. We're not perfect parents. We mess up. I, I mess up pretty much every week. I, I'm, not, I'm not hugely confident to teach you how to be the best husband because I'm a human. I mess up. But submission, selfish submission will heal. I remember a time, and, and I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I married a pretty strong-willed woman. She's got a lot of personality. She's got a lot of spunk. She's a tough chick. Um, she knows what she wants. She knows what she likes. And if you haven't noticed or not, I've got a lot of opinions myself. One of my friends described us. He said, y'all two are like two positive charges. He says a battery has to have a positive and negative. If a positive touches a positive, it explodes. <laughs> my kids are now going, oh, that makes sense. We have passionate conversations. Intense fellowship, I've heard it called. But there was a time when I was praying and, and we were not in agreement. We were not in alignment. And the Lord told me to submit to her. And I said back to him, are you out of your mind? I said, if I give her one inch, she'll run up one side of me, down the other, tire tracks on my face. There's no way I'll ever, ever get the reins back if I give them up one second. There's no stinking way. And it's what God said to me. If you'll sow submission you'll reap submission. Oh, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. See, we can, we can work so hard at being right. And the Bible says and this and that and we can, be, we can work so hard at being right that we cease being righteous. If you sow submission, you reap submission. Selfless submission heals. Selfish rebellion kills a marriage. Continues to say, wives, submit to your own husband. Watch this, as to the Lord, as if he were Jesus. Well, he don't act like Jesus. Doesn't matter, apparently. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in Everything. Now watch this. Husbands, love your wives just like Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What does that mean? He died for the church. How much should you love your, your wife? Enough to die for her. Enough to die to yourself for her. Oh man, it's hard to love like Jesus. To do what's right when they don't deserve it. To submit when they don't deserve it? Oh, we're so much about what we deserve, aren't we? Well, I deserve this and I deserve that and what about me and well, you did this and you said that. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might watch, watch, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. Did you know you can wash and cleanse and sanctify your wife with God's word? Watch, that he might present her back to himself like a gift, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For whoever hated his own flesh, but nurtures and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So we are members of his body and of his flesh and bones. Watch, for this reason, we go all the way back to the garden. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, the Bible says. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is one of the most powerful and incredible verses in the Bible to heal your marriage and to make sure that you have a good marriage, a healthy marriage. You could have a horrible marriage today, and if you begin to obey this passage, you can renew and restore and build an entirely different marriage in the future because of the secret that's inside of this passage. See, one of the biggest misconceptions that we need to understand is that we think of submission as a bad thing. We think of submission as losing. I, I, I trained in submission wrestling and submission fighting, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, trained for many years in it. And, and when, you're, when you're training in that, you, you learn when to tap out when you're training with partners. Because if you're training with a partner, you're just training. It's not the actual event, you're just training. And if your partner has you in a submission hold, you, you tap out and you reset, you move on. Now, you want to tough it out. You don't just be a, a weenie or whatever and tap out. You know, don't be easy. But, you know, but you have to at some point, you got to tap out. Let them win, start over. There was this one guy that we trained with who, because of his pride, could never tap out. I remember catching this guy in a really nice, what's called gi choke, and, and, and man, I, I had it in deep. And he was strong, and he was fighting, and man, I had it in deep. And he wouldn't tap, and he wouldn't tap. And I mean, it was, dude, he, the dude's turning purple. And, and, and I'm looking at the instructor, and the dude won't tap. And I look at the instructor, and the instructor goes, so I went, mm, and I, dude, I just cinched it up tighter. And the dude doesn't tap. And then he, then he goes completely limp. And, and he was on top of me, so now I got a, like a limp, dead body. And I'm like wrangling out. I'm like, help, I'm like, help. He's dead. I thought I killed him. I never actually choked someone fully unconscious before. It's pretty amazing. And, and he, I get out from underneath him, and <laughs> and the instructor comes over and he's kind of slapping the guy around a little bit. And if you've never seen someone wake up from being choked unconscious, it's really, really freaky. He starts convulsing like he's having a seizure. And apparently this is just what happens. And, 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 he's, convul and, and he, he's, wake, he's waking up and he's like, oh, and he doesn't know where he is and he's freaking out and whatever. And the instructor said, you didn't tap out. And so he put you to sleep. And the guy says, oh, not again. Because he had a pattern. No submission. But that's not the word for submission in the Bible. The word for submission in the Bible, to submit yourself one to another, to submit that to your husband, doesn't mean to give up and let them 
put you to sleep. It doesn't mean the same thing. It's a different word. It's actually a military word. Submission in the Bible means aligning information under authority. It's a military term. It's a term of strategy for winning in war. It's the word they would use when they would call the troops to come out and get in alignment to go fight the battle. Submission is a good thing, not a bad thing. Now, I'm going to ask my buddy Wyatt. Wyatt's going to come up here and be an example for me. Thank you, Wyatt. Come on up here, big strapping lad that he is. And I want to give you an illustration. You've probably heard this said, thank you, Wyatt. You're, you're not going to die today. <clears throat> just, it's not, it, it'll hurt just for a minute. But um, you've heard it said that the man is the head and the woman is the neck. You've heard that said, man is the head, woman is the neck. If you've never heard that, it's, it's, it's basically saying in the, in, the, in the cry, it's the neck is what turns the head. It's not saying the woman is lesser. Listen, some of you have a, a headache at your house and some of you have a neck ache. Uh, it's, but, you know, anyway, that's what we're doing here, okay? But I want to show you something. I want to show you a quick illustration, okay? What I want you to do is just kind of spread your feet a little bit and make, just kind of make a good form. Okay, I want you to make your head and your neck really straight and strong, and I'm, I'm going to push into you, and don't let me push you over, okay? Just hold strong. Push into me. Come on. Be strong. Push into me. Come on. Push into me. There you go. Push into me. See, you see what I'm saying? Look, look what, when he's in alignment... He's got a lot of strength. Now, I want you to watch this. Now, I want you to do your head like this. Okay, now push into me. 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 Do you you see that? Do I need to show you again? His dad really wants me to show you again. When the alignment is in formation, he has has a a ton of, of strength and power and ability. When the alignment is out, he has he he has nothing. Do you understand? Thank you, Wyatt. Here, buddy. (laughs) His mom's going to hate that she missed that. (laughs) This passage teaches us how to become in perfect alignment with our spouse. I guess I should have said, don't try this at home. Should I have started? Should I have done that before the illustration? You see, This principle here revolves around a principle of honor. What do I mean by that? This is the principle of love and respect. Investing perpetual love and respect inside of your marriage. It's it's, it's around the principle of honor. The misconception is that you treat someone, your spouse, the way their behavior deserves. How they act and what they've earned. So if she's acting in a way that deserves love, then I'll show her love. I'll give her love because that's what she deserves. But if she doesn't, then I'll withhold my love because she doesn't deserve it right now. And I'll wait until she earns it again. Or I'll treat him with respect when he acts like he, like he should, and, and, and he's respectable. Right now, he's not respectable. I don't respect him at all because of his behavior. It's irrelevant. Behavior is not a part of this equation. Has absolutely nothing to do with this equation. This is not a behavioral command. It's a positional command. 
You treat them the way their position deserves, not their behavior. That's the secret. That's the secret. How can I submit to him like Christ when he doesn't act like Christ? So submission, you'll reap submission. Listen, you want your husband to act respectable? Treat him as if he's respectable. So honor, so respect. You want your wife to be loving? You, you want your wife to sow that love? Sow, the, what, sow what you want to reap. Sow the seeds that you want to reap because of the position they hold in your life. And you will change the entire dynamic of the relationship. If you can stop treating the person the way their behavior deserves and start treating them the way their position demands. You can change the whole thing. <clears throat> Many years ago, um, my wife and I both have, have really quick mouths. Uh, really quick mouths. Um, we pop off. We say things we shouldn't. We, we have tempers. I know you think I'm all holy and stuff. Man, you cut me off in traffic. I might wave a handgun at you. I mean, I'm just joking. I won't, I won't let you see it. It'll be in my hand, but I won't let you see it. That's a surprise. Uh, <laughs> and, and honestly, my parents early on were very concerned um, about our relationship because we, we would fight. And we would, we would say things at each other and to each other, and, and it wasn't pretty. And when I begin to understand this principle, and I would love to tell you how perfect I am and how I've never, I never ever say the wrong thing anymore because I'm just so holy, and, I, and my feet don't even touch the ground at the house because I just levitate. I'm so much like Jesus and, you know, and just glorified form and whatever. I'm, but it, it's not true. <laughs> I still mess up. But I work really, 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 really hard at, at what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this, the secret of sweet talk. The secret of sweet talk. It, everything is love. Everything is baby. Everything is honey. Everything is darling. Everything is, it's, it's I mean, gooey, gooey, syrupy sweet. Why? Because I'm so in seats. So in seats. Mary Poppins said, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Def Leppard said, pour some sugar on me. The Bible says a gentle answer will turn away wrath. You know, there's, there's a lot of scriptures about how affairs happen in the Bible, a number of them. Proverbs 7, verse 21, watch this. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Proverbs 5, verse 3. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Listen, you better sweet talk your spouse. Husbands, you better sweet talk your spouse. Because someone else will, if you don't. 
I made a decision a long time ago. No one's going to compliment my wife more than me. I'm not going to have some slick Rick, Rico Suave dude come in. Sweet talking my wife more than I sweet talk her. Nobody. I'm not perfect. But it's powerful. It's powerful if you'll just talk nice to each other, talk sweet to each other, sow love and respect in your relationship, even and especially when they don't deserve it because of their behavior. Do it because of the position they hold and watch the principle take effect in your marriage. You can transform your whole marriage. And like I said earlier, these principles work in everything. Words are like seeds. Words are like seeds. They will grow a harvest in your life. If you've got a lot of weeds in your marriage, you need to check the seeds you're sowing. Check the seeds you're sowing. I want to pray for you today. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would move on hearts. God, I don't know. I don't know what all is going on inside of the marriages that are represented at Oaks Church, whether it's the hundreds of people inside of the room or the hundreds of people that are with us online every week. I don't know what all is going on, but Father, I know that this last couple of years has been two of the most horrific years on marriages. Marriages have suffered. Families have struggled. Homes have been wrecked. Spouses are in conflict. The enemy is at war with your marriages, your families, Father, because those marriages represent you. They represent your glory. They are the picture of Jesus and his church. So, Father, right now I ask you that you would release a special amount of grace into this atmosphere, into every relationship connected at Oaks Church. Release a special allotment of grace, more mercy, more grace, more love, more respect. Father, where there is division, I ask you to bring unity. Where there are hardened hearts, I ask you to soften them. Jesus said there's only one reason that divorce happens. Hardened hearts. Father, would you release incredible amounts of forgiveness into these relationships? Would you release incredible amounts of gratitude into these relationships? Quick forgiveness. An outpouring of gratitude. Those two things can change any relationship. Father, would you heal marriages? Would you restore love? Would you heal families? Restore children to their parents, parents to their children. Father, make us an example of loving, respectful relationships. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. I'm going to give one more appeal before we close. And that is if there's anybody here or watching online with us that needs to get right with Jesus. Anybody that needs to get right with Jesus, don't leave this room 
don't turn off this podcast or video stream without praying this prayer and getting right with Jesus. You're, you're simply not promised tomorrow. Life is short. Life is short. Life is short. And you are not promised tomorrow. The Holy Spirit is drawn on your heart. He's drawn on your heart. You may be thinking, you're not talking to me, Joel. It's not me. It's not me. It might be you. The Holy Spirit's drawn on your heart. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Say yes to Jesus today. If everyone would just close your eyes, and if you just kind of just kind of lift your hands just right there to yourself, just in surrender. Just surrender to Jesus today. It starts with submission, submitting to Jesus, aligning with Jesus in formation. Just across the room and all over online, say this with me. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I belong to you. Put my faith in you. Save me. Restore me. Renew me. Forgive me. Heal my relationships. Save my life. Today I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. God bless you. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to give you one quick moment. I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. That's the only thing I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to trick you or anything else. I'm just asking you to raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer, you gave your life to Jesus, would you just be that bold when I count to three? The reason I do this is because Jesus said, if you acknowledge me in front of people, I'll acknowledge you in front of my Father in heaven. If you're online, if you'll just put in the comments, I prayed that prayer uh, and gave my life to Jesus. Just, just make a declaration online and one of us will follow up with you and, and, and see how we can help you. But if you gave your life to Jesus today, would you be that bold? I gave my life to Jesus, Joel. Ready? One, two, three, go. Be bold, be bold. There you go. God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. God bless you. That's awesome. Anybody else? God bless you. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. That's amazing. I love it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.